and Saul is on, or David is on the run. And, uh, I had put something on, on the computer last night and it said that, you know, basically that when we're tired and when we're wore out is when we need to seek the strength of God. And, you know, in thinking about that, you've got to use a little bit of interpretation to understand just how tired and wore out at this point David has got to be. You know, the verse never says it, you know, but I think we, we've, God's given us intellect and, and, and a brain to figure stuff out. If you're traveling by foot, for two chapters in a row to this many locations, if you were running for your life with no friends, no family, if you had to get rid of everything that you knew, I think it's safe to assume that David is going through severe opportunity of depression, worry, doubt, just being flat out worn out. You know, and, and, and I don't think, you know, and I prayed real hard this year on if I was supposed to, you know, every now and then we'll kind of pause on our series and, and do a little mini series on something else. And I really prayed hard this year on if I was, I was supposed to, supposed to pause. Um, you know, funny that, that word comes up because we're going to really get to that word pause here at the end, hopefully. Um, but anyway, you know, I'd pray was I supposed to, supposed to pause and maybe do something a little different, uh, in the last couple of weeks. And, and here we get to this right here. And I'm going to be honest and it's because we put it on ourselves. But I see more wore out, depressed, tired, self, lack of motivated <laughs> people this time of the year than any other. And it's kind of sad because this time of the year, you've got the flip side of that where people are so joyful and, and all that going on. But we've beat ourselves to a pulp because of what we've turned this last month of the year into. So worried about getting this and doing that and getting this done and getting that done. And again, I've said, I've said for a few weeks, I'm not against getting people stuff. I think it's great. We ought to, we ought to shower people with stuff and let them know that it's the love of Christ that's bringing it to them. Don't give nobody else the opportunity to meet their needs when God's called us to meet their needs. But I think we've allowed some other things to kind of distract us from, from the gospel and, and from, from what God's word, you know, the, the real good news is really about and, and what his kingdom really can do in our life if we let it come into our life. So I don't think it's a, it's a chance or anything like that. David is tired. He's at his strength and he's wore out. He's feeling beat up. And a lot of you are too. And I don't think that's a, that's a chance that, that God didn't allow us to, to skip. So I want to look at these three, three locations. Each of these locations, David, uh, encounters, I guess we could say a different obstacle that, that Mike just read about. Um, I won't pronounce any of the words as good as he did or as good as any of you can. Um, and you should not expect any better. Uh, at least if you've been here more than once, you shouldn't expect any better. So uh, let's go to Keilah first. David goes to Keilah. The very first site, he goes to the very first location and the very first obstacle he reaches. And it's an obstacle. Understand this now. It's an obstacle he shouldn't have had to deal with. I don't want you to skip that because the very first verse says this. It was reported to David, the Philistines are fighting us. Why did it be reported to David, who's in hiding, that the Philistines are beating up his own people? Who should it have been reported to? Who should have been dealing with it? Who should have made sure the Philistines weren't doing what they were doing in the neighborhood they were doing it in? Saul! So church, understand me, whether it's this time of the year or any other time of the year. You're going to have to deal with stuff you're not supposed or not should have to deal with. And you still got to deal with it. 
David didn't look at the guy and say, hey, man, you're bringing the report to the wrong person. You better take that on up the road to Saul. He didn't say, man, I got enough of my own issues going on right now. I got enough of my own problems right now. There's no way I can take your stuff and their stuff and add it to my list. There was none of that. And I would think we would all agree in saying that he would have been justified in any of those excuses, correct? How often is it we may have been wanting to use some of those excuses when somebody brings a need that maybe we weren't supposed to have to meet or we weren't supposed to have to deal with? And we even use lines of, well, it's not my problem. Why am I letting it affect me so much? Not David. David does something very powerful. So the first obstacle we see is an obstacle that wasn't supposed to be his. Philistines attacking and, and Saul's not doing his job. But we see how David handles it. And here, here's what I want us to really grab because we get two Two really big lessons that some of us need to grab a hold of in this section. He, scripture says he inquires of the Lord. So, so when you, the very first thing you do when you need to find the strength of God, you go to his word and you go to prayer. Now, we say stuff like that and it sounds so basic, but then I have to ask, this is what you're supposed to do. Is this what you're actually doing? Do you really open the word of God, go into deep prayer when stuff like this comes about? Or do we try to find man-made solutions? So the very first thing he does is trusting God. And because he can trust God, he gets bold in his trusting of God. So, so catch this thing and grab a picture of each of these scenes where we're at. And there's a reason I want you to picture them because of the last scene. But you've, you've got this city of, uh, of Keilah. It's very close to the Philistine border. We're talking 10 to 12 miles at the most from Gath. Which if you've been with us any amount of time, we've looked at Gath a couple of times. That is Philistine capital. That is where the headquarters is. That is that is where they would send out their, uh, I, don't, I guess they don't have tanks and planes, but they'll send out all their stuff from that location to take care of stuff. All right, so we're really close. David hears that the Philistines are attacking. So the very first thing he does, he goes to God in prayer. And he prays. And God says, go do what you've been called to do. David's a mighty soldier. I mean, he's a great, great warrior. So he gets an answer from God of go and do it. So David, you know, I think David was really hyped up, to be honest with you. If you look at David's life, David was a guy who didn't really back away and didn't like to back away from fights. I think he was excited to get to go fight. So he probably ran out there and told his men, guys, we about to go take care of business. But he looked out at his men and it looked and I'm the only one allowed to say this. And it looked like that depleted locker room of the Dallas Cowboys. And they, they look back. If you don't know if you're visiting with us, I'm, I bleed blue, okay? But I understand we having a sucky year, so I can joke about it, all right? So, so, so in that, in that, all his men look at him. Oh, no, we're not doing that. Is you crazy? They're going to kill us. It ain't going to happen. Now, here again, you've got David with an opportunity, guys. Understand this, because there's a lot of little small lessons in this basic story. David could look at his men and say what? I'm the captain of this team. You get your butts up and let's go to war. Would have been justified, correct? He also could have said, I'm crying with you, brother. Don't worry. <laughs> he also could have said, oh, my gosh, my men are right. We, we could get our butts beat and we're, we're not going on the field. That's, that's not going to happen. Two justifiable and understandable things he could have done. But David is so smart here, guys. He, he doesn't exclude his men's opinion. And he doesn't fall back into fear. He says, all right, guys, if that's what you're thinking, I'm going to pray about it again. And I love this. I love knowing the Bible. The Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. And a man after God's own heart has to repeatedly pray about the same thing. None of you seem to be with me on this. So maybe I'm by myself. I have to repeatedly pray about a lot of stuff. 
Maybe it's because I don't listen good. Maybe it's because I get distracted by stuff. Maybe it's because God's just teaching me, grooming me or whatever. But I love knowing that David, a man after God's own heart, has to do something that I always kind of think I'm wrong for doing when I have to repeatedly pray about the same thing. And David does this. And I think it's a lesson for us. It's okay to keep on praying. Okay? Keep on praying. And and I jotted this down in my, in my notes back at the house or another piece of paper. I jotted down. He had to pray through his breakthrough. And, and here's why this is so important. Not And my notes are always just real choppy short words. Okay? So, so don't take all those little phrases and, and, and think that's it. He, here's why. Because we see so many people that pray at the beginning of a problem. Right? Oh, there's a problem. We got to pray about it. They may even come to the altar that one time and, and pray about it there. But then they don't do nothing else and prayer stops. You know what I'm talking about? I may be talking to some of you, but, but, but they just stopped. They think the beginning prayer was it. And that's all they had to do. And what God taught me today through this chapter, because we're going to really get to it at the end. But the beginning ties to it is we got to quit neglecting the middle. We're all about the beginning. And if we make it to the end, see, if you neglect the middle, you might not even make it to the end. But if you make it to the end every now and then, we're all about the end. Also, there'll be a praise report here. Or if we don't make it to the end, we'll blame and cry and whine and not understand why it had to be us that didn't get what we wanted it to get and and all that in between stuff. Right. But we neglect the middle. And David right here, if you're watching this thing and you've been with us any amount of weeks, and if not, please go back and listen and read and, and study this stuff. David is in the middle of his breakthrough. I mean, he's in the middle of it. All his time in the, in the wilderness, that was getting him a heart after God. All this time in the caves, this is getting him ready to be a king. So he's in the middle of his breakthrough, and he doesn't stop praying. And I think too many believers stop praying in the middle of their breakthrough. I don't know if it's because we get confident and think that that's it or if we think just the one one and done prayer was the way to go. But scripture tells us pray without ceasing, I think is how it's worded. So I think maybe we should stop, stop praying. Yeah, stop, stop praying and, and, and keep on praying through things. OK, that's what David does. He keeps on praying. He prays through the breakthrough and he gets a word from God about this thing. And here's what God goes even deeper this time. Sometimes God to confirm a little bit stronger with us if we keep praying, I think, too. And God says, yeah, I'm not only telling you to go. I'm telling you, I'm going to make sure that they're handed over to you. Like, I'm not telling you go fight them. I'm telling you, you've got the victory that's been promised to you from this. So David goes and he tells his men, I got a response from God's word. God not only tells us we're going to go fight. God's granting us success in this thing. And we're going to beat the Philistines and we're going to save the people of Keilah. And all this time, why it was Saul's job supposed to be doing this thing. I I love this right here because you also get to see God's love for his people. God loved his people too much to let them suffer because of an unfaithful king. You ever thought about that part with Saul? I mean, think about how easy it would have been, even for God. Now, God doesn't have this attitude, but he he could have justified it just like you and I would have said, I'm giving them the king they want. If they want an unfaithful king, they wanted an unfaithful king. I'm going to let them deal with an unfaithful king consequences. But he, but he loves us so much, guys, that he doesn't do that. He says, if Saul's not up to the task he's supposed to be up to, I'm going to raise up a man after my own heart who is. And David is that one. So even though David's not king, he's already, if you ain't noticed it yet, he's acting like a king. And I think this is huge for us because we need to understand 
It's okay to start acting like who you know you are before the rest of the world knows who you are. Does that make sense? Maybe if we would start acting like who we know we are, the rest of the world would see it and, and maybe understand it and believe it. There's an, maybe the world doesn't believe what we say because we don't act like what we say. Would that be, would that be a safe way of saying it? And if we don't act like what we say, why in the world would they believe what we say? I can't believe I did all that without tongue to us and that was really good, right? It's okay to start acting like before you get, sometimes I think we, we think that if we don't have the title, we don't have to do it. Or we're not gonna do it till we get the title. Oh, I ain't gonna do that till they give me the title and the position. If you would do the job that you've been called to do and supposed to do, God'll give you the title. Okay, and t- title really doesn't do it anyway. Title's like an afterthought. Why would he give you the title before you're doing what you're supposed to be doing? Okay? Alright, so, so think on that. David, and here's another huge thing. We talk about the two greatest commandments all the time with the, with the New Testament, and y'all like like it's something new. Right? I, I don't know where we get that idea. Oh, it's just a new idea. This is what Jesus said. We love God and then we love others. Well, Jesus said that because it's been exhibited from Genesis to Revelation. Okay, it's not like a new idea that he had in the Gospels. Okay, it's been something that's been going on the whole time. So here you get David exhibiting this, this, the two greatest commandments that that we always call it because David is willing, get this, David is willing to endanger himself. Anytime you're willing to go to battle, you're willing to endanger yourself. He's willing to endanger himself to obey the command of God. Well, scripture says what? If you love me, you will obey me. You'll keep my word, right? So, so he's obeying God and He's willing to meet the needs of the people. Well, if that's not the two greatest commandments exhibited in action, I don't know what is. Okay? Some of us aren't willing to endanger ourselves to obey God and follow and meet the needs of the people. And I'm not just talking about battle. I'm talking about sometimes emotional, sometimes just just distress and and whatever else it is. And we need to get that way, okay? Yeah, he could have said Saul should have been doing it, but, but David said, you know what, I'm not taking that excuse. Proverbs 28, 1, the wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. David could act bold because he trusted God's promises. Christians, why don't we act bold? What is stopping us from acting bold? Do we not have the promises of God? I mean, that's what did it for David. David heard the promises of God and he got bold and courageous because of it. Am I mistaken in the fact that when I read scripture, I've got a lot of promises from God? So then why don't Christians act as bold as we're supposed to? Should not the promises of God be enough of a reason to act bold and stop being afraid? Psalm 118, David writes, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man even do to me? He says something similar to it later on or earlier in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 27. He goes, I don't know what I have to be afraid of because man can't do nothing to me. Of whom shall I be afraid is what he actually says in verse one and two. He he never fears the outcome when he knows God's the one driving this whole thing. You want to talk about somebody who trusted in the sovereignty of God? And we're going to really get to that with, with the last thing. So, so we're going to lead up to that, right? Look back at verse 5. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought. Everybody just write down two words if you're a note taker. Or even if you just if you write in your Bible or whatever. Write down, David did. David did. Because it is not enough for us to ask God's will. It's not enough for us to know God's will until we're willing to do God's will. Do we get that, believers? I think sometimes we quick to pray. We quick to even investigate and study sometime. And, and then we just it, we fall short in the middle again. We miss that middle. Well, I prayed about it. And I noticed what God said. 
I even opened my Bible and the Bible confirmed this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Then why aren't you doing it? Oh, well, I'm going to get to that a little late. No, no. If you if you prayed about it and you know the will of God, then you should be doing it. It's not enough just just to know and pray it. You got to do because if you do, here's what the last part of that verse says, verse five, struck them down with a mighty blow. David saved the inhabitants of Kilo. What happens? God blesses obedience is what happens. God blesses obedience. Now, that, that's the first part. There, there's some more prayer that David now has to do. Because part two of seeking God's will and, and, and relying on prayer and his word is we got to be wise and avoid unnecessary danger. Okay, it's it, it's easy to read stuff like this and put ourselves in some compromising situations because of it. I love that David gives us both examples right here. Look at seven through 13. Saul finds out that David he's, he's in this town and Saul is always misinterpreting God's word, by the way. Or misinterpreting God's ideas. He doesn't, he doesn't even look at God's word, so I guess he can't misinterpret God's word. He's always, he's always just interpreting the, 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 the worldly symbols. Cause what's he say here? Oh, David's in the city. He's barred himself up in a city. All right. So, so maybe Saul's just a good visionary guy, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Maybe he's just envisioning this is, this is the way he wants it to be. But he, either way, he's all about himself. He's interpret, misinterpreting, uh, God's will. And he sees an opportunity and he goes out and calls up all his forces to go get David and now his 600 men. I love that the men, by the way, are increasing in number for David, despite the situation sucks. <laughs> you would you would think, well, ain't nobody going to join. He's already gained 200 uh, people extra from 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 where he started through this thing. And I, and I also had to write this down. Saul wasn't willing to go save the people of Keilah yet against the Philistines, yet he's willing to go now. And take all his men to try to save himself from David. Remember, Saul's motivation this whole time is to save himself from David taking what's his. He's all about self-interest. Maybe as we think about this vision thing, maybe maybe that's the problem. If all you have, because I I hear people use that word all the time, and vision sounds pretty good, right? I want to be a visionary. I want to have vision. I want to have, and and that, that sounds good. But if vision is all you got, that ain't enough. Maybe why some of you, this is it, write this down. Maybe why some of you are looking for a vision, you ought to start looking for a verse. How's that sound? I like the way that sounds a little better, right? Because we're all looking for this vision and this idea. How about let's open the scripture and look for a verse that says what it is that, that we really need to hear from God. Notice what I said. Look for a verse of what God needs to say. Not look for a verse that makes it fit into your don't take one little verse in the middle and say, oh, I can use this. No, you cannot use this verse. This verse can use you. All right. Make sure you get the order of the events here. Right. All right. Verse number nine. David learns of this plot. And what does he do? It says he inquires of the Lord again. How easy would it have been to have said, you know what, guys, we just won that battle. We don't need to pray about it. We just need to go fight some more. David never has that attitude. He's constantly seeking God's counsel on every decision he has to make. He says, oh, you know what? That's a new battle. I need to seek God about it. What does he say in verse nine? He tells the guy, hey, go get Ephod. Now, we don't even really you, you want you want something to study that that you could go on a million different tangents. So study the Ephod. OK, we, we don't even know the beginning of what I think is probably under layered in, in, in the study of this thing. A couple of things we know from earlier in scripture is that it's got two mysterious objects, the, the, the Urim and, and the, uh, 
Thummim, I guess is how you would say the other one. I told you I'd mess words up. Don't ever expect less. All right? So, so we don't know much about his object. Here's what we do know. Here, here's like the, not to get us off on too much of a tangent. Here's what we know. God would allow his people to use this object to get prayers answered and heard. That's kind of a basic, basic way of getting you into understanding what this here is. Okay? So, so I'm kind of looking stuff up, and here's one of the things I find. This is why the internet will get you in trouble. Some people are right. Oh, well, then we can't pray until we get one of those. I'm sitting there scratching my head and checking this out. I'm like, hold on, maybe they mean a little different. So I read a little further and a couple other people chime in and say, yeah, I'm going to wait. I get one. I think I think y'all are really missing, really missing what one, what one is and what it's supposed to be. And they're going on and on and on and on and on about it. And I just want to pause and make sure we understand as a church. Y'all realize we've got God, the father. We've got God, the spirit. And we've got his son, okay? You don't have to have any special tool anymore for praying and hearing from God, okay? He loves you enough. He's put his spirit in you if you were one of his. And he's going to make sure through the word, through prayer, and, and through outside believers or other believers, everything else, on making sure that his vision is clear cut through verses, all right? So, so no, I'm waiting on this. I wish I had. You do have this. You have the spirit of God if you're a believer. Now, if you're not a believer, then you're missing out, all right? If you're not a follower, then you're missing out, all right? So here's the contrast once again. We talk about the contrast with David and Saul all the time. Saul, he's got rumors and he's got heresy. Because of rumors and heresy, he follows his vision. David has a direct line to God, and he asked God two questions. Now, I wonder what he was thinking, you know, when he asked both of them. First one he says is, hey, is Saul really coming here? Second one he says, and are the people really going to turn me over? Now, I wonder... Just, just the, what, what the emotions was when he's saying it. That people had to already be talking for him to be worried about it. So David asked God, and God says, yes, Saul is coming. And yes, the people are going to turn you over. And I sit there and I wonder, why in the world would these people who David just left his safe haven of the caves come down and fight the Philistines for them? Why in the world would they be willing to be ungrateful and turn him over. Well, church, last chapter, I don't know if you guys remember, there was some nasty stuff that happened at Nob. You know, all the priests dying, all the women dying, all the children dying, all the cattle dying. You better believe rumors like that get spread. And despite whatever benefit Keilah could have been receiving, you better believe fear is something that motivates people. And I believe, at least, that it was fear of them saying, you know what, we heard about what Saul did to Nob. We don't want it happening to us. We'll turn him over. But I love that David's obedience is still in prayer. He still seeks God out. He still inquires of the Lord and the Lord confirms. No different than when Jesus told. And and notice what he does now. He doesn't say, God, you know, I'm a mighty warrior. You know, everything I've touched has turned to gold from here on out. I'll just go take care of business myself. He doesn't do that. What does he do? What does he do? He prays, but what does he do after he gets an answer? He leaves. He gets his men and they haul tail it out of there. Can you imagine how hard that would be to do for a warrior spirit? In essence, you could almost say he's running away from the fight. Right? Well, that goes back to what we said that kind of combines with this point. We got to be wise and don't put ourselves in unnecessary danger. Just because you're bold as a Christian don't mean you should be out there putting yourself in unnecessary danger. 
All right. Now, I'm not saying you run with your tail tucked between your legs when there's issues you need to be addressing. I'm just saying sometimes we do some stupid stuff and put ourselves in unnecessary danger. Just an easy example for us men sometimes is we think we all strong and mighty and we can handle temptation. You are weak and puny when it comes to temptation. You can't handle it. You stay the heck away from it. We tell the men in the upper room all the time, and Scripture says it, the only time a man is called to run is when that temptation comes. Read 2 Timothy, okay? He very bluntly says, you can't handle it, run away. Now, I love this, because understand this married men at least, right? You can't handle it because that's a God-given urge. You can't handle a God-given urge, because it's God-given. That's how strong it should be, and it's okay to be, as long as it's used in the right direction. All right. So he he leaves. No different than what Jesus tells his disciples. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Ah, Thanks, Jesus. That sounds awesome. I love your motivational speeches. This is great stuff right here. Right. Therefore, I need you to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Wow. what, What are you saying, Jesus? I'm saying that there's danger out there and you need to be as wise as a serpent. I'm saying there's danger out there. And you need to be bold enough to trust me and my promises, but you also need to be wise enough to avoid unnecessary danger. Stop sticking your nose in areas I've told you to stay away from. The key point is David inquired of the Lord with every decision he made, he checked with God first. And you and I need to start doing the same. And if we would start checking with God first on everything that we do, we probably wouldn't be fighting some of the battles we fight, would we? Huh? Let's be honest now, church. Some of y'all wouldn't be with the people you with if you would check with God first instead of having your little vision and you would went with a verse. Am I right? Some of you wouldn't be dealing with the job you're dealing with instead of having a vision if you'd have read the verse. Am I correct? I think some of the things we get ourselves into, we got ourselves into because we had a vision, but we didn't go searching for a verse. And when we do that, what I'm saying is that we're following the flesh and not wanting to follow the way of the Lord. And the flesh will get you in a lot of trouble, okay? Find strength in God by seeking in his word, going in prayer, be bold in trusting his promises, yet do be wise enough to avoid unnecessary danger. Location number two, Ziph, right? Here's where we see some fellowship and some faith take over, right? Look at verse 14. David then stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. Saw search for him every day, but God did not Hand David over to him. Scripture doesn't word stuff the way it words it without lessons being in there on purpose. That's not just telling you what's going on. That's telling you flat out David's on the run. He's left this location. He's gone to Ziph, which is like a desert. Um, really, you could picture this thing because it's full of all sorts of caves and stuff. You could picture, most of us probably remember back when the U.S. was investigating Afghanistan and looking in the caves for the Taliban as they were hot. They'd use the caves for hiding spots. Very similar to exactly what David is using right here, okay? So he's in this area. He's playing a, a real good game of hide-and-seek, real good game of, of cat and mouse, I guess you could pay. And it says that day after day, Saul searched for him. Y'all ever played hide-and-seek and not be able to find somebody? Any competitive people in the room? Because some of y'all ain't competitive and it don't even matter. Any competitive people in the room play a game of hide-and-seek and not be able to find somebody? About five of us. Well, good. Us five, I can tell you because those five will relate with me. We get real mad. After about spot number seven. 
if we ain't found nobody. All right. And we and the, and the longer it goes, the madder it gets. Can you imagine how mad Saul's got to be getting right here? And think about this. Hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. Saul is hurt because, one, he's afraid he's about to lose his kingdom. He's mad. He's hurt by He's really hurt by God, you could say, because he knows. He knows. We're going to get that in a minute. He knows who the next one's supposed to be. He's hurt because his son has chosen David over himself. He, he's hurt now because he can't find what he's looking for. And he's got all these people following him. And I can't imagine after a thousand people is following you, how many of those probably saying, are we really going to keep doing this? Like, when are we actually going to find this guy and get this stuff resolved? Right? So the matter he's getting, the, the, the more hurt he is, the more he wants to seek out and hurt somebody else. But scripture says, day after day Saul searched, yet God did not give David over to him. What is scripture really saying? Scripture saying that God is protecting David, correct? We, we forget that sometimes in just a little sentence like that. He's saying, you know, Saul can keep looking all he wants to day after day. But it's God who's going to protect David day after day also. It, it, we got to have the faith sometime to understand that if we would persevere through some of those times that we're so worried about, God would have some great things ready for us. It goes back, like we say, David had to persevere when he was tending sheep. It gave him a, guy, a, a heart after God. He's got to persevere in the caves and in the wilderness so that he can be a king. James for the New Testament says this, verses 2 and 4. Consider it pure joy. Now, that sounds crazy, right? Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. I do want to point out in the beginning of James, he says, my brothers. So I, I always point that out because I just want to make sure people understand. He's writing to believers. I, I will never tell an unbeliever, consider it pure joy, the trials you're going through. Right? Satan is loving getting you to love him. Right? No. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Right? My, 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 my believers. My, 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 my kingdom men. Right? Kingdom women. Right? Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials many cans. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. It goes back to the middle again. It goes back to the middle. you got to persevere through the middle so that you can get to the completion in the end. God was testing David in the wilderness and preparing him for his role as king, right? For his role as king. Now, I want to I want to just point this out and this will come much, much later in our study. But this is a good spot to just say it. when David was a shepherd boy, he got the title man after God's own heart. Right. When he's in the caves in the wilderness. He's getting ready to become and he's acting like a king. That's two horrible locations. It is. But that's two awesome titles that came from it. Right. When David gets, and again, this is years later, I just want to point out, because some of you worry about where you're at now versus where you're going, and you're so worried about getting where you're going because you think you can handle it. When David gets to the palace, a good location, everybody remembers the story, right? What's David do? Man, adultery. Murder. Does he not lie? Does he not cheat, kind of? Really, in essence, of stealing. Man, he just broke half the commandments in the palace. See, some of you think that you need to get to the palace. And the palace ain't going to do nothing but bring you more trouble that you can't handle. I'm serious now. I didn't think about that until I was reading. And I had to really start laughing when I'm reading it. Because I'm like, we're always worried about getting to that primetime location. The primetime location brings hell sometimes. Really? 
But yet when he was in the wilderness and, and he was in the, in the, in the, in the caves and he was tending the sheep, I can't imagine how nasty he had to be, you know, after months and days out there nonstop, you know, just doing what he was doing. Those are the times that he was able to be who he was supposed to be. How about let's start being who we're supposed to be in the time we're in and quit worrying about getting somewhere that may be bringing us more trouble than we really care to handle. Now, David owns up to his stuff, so I'm not taking away from what happens to him in the palace. I'm just making sure we understand because we're so worried about getting to a palace. Let's just make sure that there's a lot of stuff to be done before we get to the palace. Because if all this wasn't done, I don't think he could have handled adultery, murder, cheating, and stealing. Right? I think he would have failed. So, so let's look at that. All right, here's another thing. We see right here in the section 15 through 18, the same location. The fellowship with believers encouraging one another. 15 through 18 is beautiful, man. And, and here's why it's beautiful. Because I, I think we read over it and, and we don't even really think about what exactly is happening. You've got to picture scripture when it's happening. David is on the run, right? He's hiding, right? A guy who is seeking to find him as much as he can can't find him. Yet what's Jonathan do? He just skips on up to the mountain. Hey, David, everybody's looking for you, but I found you. Didn't take me. No- you ever, you, did you catch that part of it? I think sometimes we read over it and we're like, okay, Jonathan just appears. I don't think God teleported him in. I don't think we had Star Wars going on. I think Jonathan, he was able to seek out and he was able to figure out which cave he was in. And he risked his own life to go to David because he knew, man, David's got to be in a really rough spot. He's been hiding in the cave now for months. Actually, we would say for years now. So we're going to say that total total wilderness hiding for David, if you didn't know, is 15 to 20 years. That's a big gap of time, guys. That's a big gap of time. So some of you thinking, I need to get in my trial quick. No, some of you are going to stay in trial for a lot longer. And you just need to understand it. Okay? And you need to be okay with it. David was okay with it. All right? But Jonathan knew that. And Jonathan said, I, I'm going to risk myself. Think about that. My daddy will kill me if he catches me. What if he even catches me out looking? What am I going to tell him? But yet he risks himself and he goes there. And what, what's the very first thing he tells David? David, don't you remember the promises of God? Church, understand me. I understand there's a lot of stuff. Hey, take an example. And I, and I can do this because one, I know Mike well. And, and, and he said something a minute ago to line up with it. What do you tell somebody? When, when somebody they, they asked you to pray for died. That's, that's a whole, I don't care who you are. Don't sound all spiritual and super mighty and holy, you holy rollers or whatever y'all want to be. That's hard. That's hard to go sit down with somebody and, and talk with them at that moment. That's hard when hell just slapped them in the face and, and you don't know what to say. Hear me, hear me. This is a big one because a lot of believers need this. It's okay not to know what to say. Oh, y'all thought y'all was getting good advice just now, didn't you? You did. You got real good advice. It's okay to not know what to say. Don't roll in there with your holy roller outfit on or any of that. What you do is do what Jonathan did. And I, and I can say, by assuming I didn't know the man, but assuming by what Mike said, that he knew Jesus and there's no more cancer, then we can say, man, do you remember the promises of God? That's all That's all Jonathan tells David. He goes to David and says, man, look, look, look at 15 through 18. Just glance over him real fast while I get it open. He's in the wilderness. Uh, da, 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 da. Saul's son Jonathan came and visited him. And here's what he said, verse 70. Don't be afraid. 
My father Saul is never going to be able to lay a hand on you. You yourself are going to be king of Israel. This is a promise from God. And I'll be your second in command. Now, I do pause here for those that don't know the whole story. Because sometimes having a vision and hope is okay. Jonathan don't get to be second in command, okay? Jonathan isn't there when David becomes king. But he's still got that attitude coming, right? Even my father Saul knows it's true. Man, he's saying, look, daddy's so mad because daddy knows it's true. Now, not to spill the beans for, for next week, but when you get to chapter 24, I think I wrote it down, maybe. It's 24 on the screen, 2420. 2420, Saul is actually going to say, is it up there? 2420 says, now I know for certain you will be king in the kingdom of Israel, shall be established in your hand. Eat those words, Saul. Right? <laughs> Think about that. That's all Jonathan's doing. It's almost like you could picture this right here. He doesn't have, he doesn't have it all, but he understands none of it. And please understand this. None of us are meant to do it alone. We're not. It shows a lot of faith as a believer to accept the outstretched hands of, of other believers to help you through something. It shows your trust and your confidence in what God said and how God said we're supposed to handle stuff. We need to surround ourselves with a body of believers that are going to encourage us and keep us going along the way. And you could almost say that, that, that Jonathan is working as a person who's taking David's hand and putting it in God's hand. And, and for me, I don't know about frustration, for me, when I picture that moment, I love it. I love it because here's what I'm picturing. And not to sound all gay and weird, that's not what I mean by this, okay? But, but, when you got him taking that hand and putting it in God's hand, I, I picture that wedding moment where daddy understands me now where daddy takes or whoever's giving her away, takes that hand and puts it into the husband's hand. And I tell you right now, the day I don't like to accept it, but the day that does actually happen, if it happens for my Haley, I'm going to look that dude square in the eye, square in the eye, because I've seen daddies do it and I love it. I love it because when that daddy takes that hand and puts it in his hand and he looks that dude square in the eye, he's saying, look here, buddy, you're responsible for everything now that happens to her. And then I'm going to whisper to him because I don't know if this part is, is anywhere else in there. I'm going to tell him, and if you screw it up, I'm going to screw you up just like that. Maybe a little bit different, right? So, 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 so in that, in that moment though, you now have two people looking eye to eye with each other. You have the exchange of ownership. I'm going to call it ownership. I understand it. Please understand this woman. It's responsibility. He doesn't own you. Okay. But exchange of responsibility. He's now saying you are responsible. But look at the confidence that can give. Hopefully she's picked a good man. Look at the confidence that can give a woman when he takes that hand. Because she can now look at him and say, oh, you're going to take care of me. You're going to take care of every need I got. When I get old and my body starts to fall apart because somebody rear-ended me in the back, I'm a brand new explorer and I hurt every day from it. You gonna take care of me? <laughs> a little bit of personalness right there, right? <laughs> you gonna take care of me? Can you imagine David? Man, I hope I'm getting all right with this illustration. Can you imagine David being what would be the wife at that moment, looking at God, taking his hand and saying, "He's got me. He's got me." I've got nothing to fear because he's got me. Look at all the promises he's given me. Look at how he, what he's already done as he, as he gets me through the, the, this whole thing. David is at a low point, yet Jonathan risked his own life to make sure that he knew he had strength in God. 
Church, when you get to those moments where, and I'll be honest, sometimes when the reading of the word and the prayer ain't working, surround yourself with other believers. Get the encouragement they can offer you. The right believers now. Unfortunately, I gotta, I gotta stipulate that because there's so many wrong believers out there. I don't even know why we call that a believer. There's so many wrong people out there thinking they believe. Okay. Hebrews does it this way. Hebrew chapter three, 12 and 13. See to it, brothers. Again, brothers, believers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily. Everybody say daily. Daily. As long as it is called today. Everybody say today. Okay. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Meaning what? We need to be encouraged constantly. 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 Because the enemy ain't taking no time off, guys. He's not. That's what we'll get to in this this, this next section. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Look at the last location. Moan, don't laugh at me, Mitch. What's wrong with you? Huh? Moan's what we're going to call it now since he wanted to laugh at me, whether it's right or not. Here's the lesson of Moan. God, we call it God's divine care or God's providential care. Because here's where we get to see the sovereignty of God on display a little bit, a little bit more, right? So, so we got all this going. We get to this last location and here's what we're going to find. We can trust in God's divine care. We can trust in God's Divine care. But before we trust, here's what you understand. Be alert that the enemy is seeking to destroy you. All right. There, there's no hiding that the enemy is out there. 19 through 23. Jonathan leaves David. They, they, these new new people with Saul, they come to him and they say, hey, man, we'll help you go get him. And Saul says, what? Oh, that'd be great for me. Notice how Saul is always selfish. Always. Every every part of him is selfish constantly about this thing. And, and even tells him when he goes, I want you guys to, to prepare and go out. We'll look at David's craftiness. He, he's admitting like the guy's been playing hide and seek with me for a long time. He's really, he's really, really good. I'm really, really bad. Kind of like I throw a spear. I'm really bad at throwing the spear. I'm really bad at hide and seek. Saul's good at nothing. Evidently just being tall was enough to be king back then. And, and, and that was it. That's the only good quality I've seen, seen him over the years. Right? So David's hiding in these places. He's got information. I need you to hunt him out, find him and, and get him. Again, the relentlessness of this pursuit. Why? Because hurt people get driven to hurt people. And the Bible tells us the same thing for the New Testament. First Peter chapter five, you've heard it before. Be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Lions look for the weak. They look for the injured. They look for the unprepared. They look for the one they can sneak up on. That's why it starts with be self-controlled and alert. You got work to do. Verse nine, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Let me repeat that because I think some more believers need just that last line. Just that last line. You know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. You ever hear some believers sometime get on, get their pity party going? Oh, nobody has to go through what I have to go through. You just have no idea how tough life is for me. I've got this and I've got that and I, 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 wah, 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 wah. We said it two weeks ago. Ain't nobody coming to a self-pity party except for yourself, okay? Because we don't like pity, all right? So, so it ain't going to work. So throw yourself a self-pity party, get your own balloons, and hang out by yourself, right? <laughs> What's verse 9 really saying? It's saying, man, you're not, your suffering's not unique to you. And that, that he's saying that to bring confidence. Now, I'm picking on you, and, and I myself sometimes fall into the same trap. But, but he says this to bring confidence. We have a common enemy. We all suffer together. Really, you could say if you're not suffering at some point, maybe you're on the enemy's side because that'd be the only people he's not torturing. Uh, so, so keep that in mind, right? 
But but here's the point. Know that you're under attack. Know the enemy's out there. Be alert. But here, here's, I love this last part. But be at peace because God is in control. Be at peace because God is in control. All this stuff can be coming, but be at peace because God is in control. Look at 24 through 29. Now you've got this desert. We're five, we're five miles south of Ziff. Saul and his men enter the desert. They're in hot pursuit. This is a great action picture right here. I made the kids draw this picture yesterday. We sat down. We were sitting at a table, and, and I was working a little bit. And Chris was trying to get some, some stuff done for the week. And, and uh, Reese had already left for the hockey game. But I, I told Paxton, hey, I said, y'all sit right here. I'm going to describe a scene, and I want you to draw this out. So they're, they're drawing their mountain. You guys know the scene. There's this mountain, and they're drawing the mountain. And, and I explained to them you know, a little bit more than, than what, what the verse actually says so that we know the background. I said, Saul's got 600 men going up one side of the mountain. So, so they draw it, you know, in their own little way, whether they write a number, just a bunch of dots for faces, whatever. And I said, now Saul on the other side, David's got 600, I might have made something names. Saul on the other side's coming up, and we know he's got thousands of men. Like, it's, it's no guessing game. He's got all his army, has been following and pursuing, and he's been getting madder, so he's getting more men. He's got thousands coming up. Now, you picture a mountain, guys. I should have brought their, I should have put their pictures on the screen. So you guys, you got, right. you got this, you got this mountain. You got 600 people coming up this side. If you've got thousands coming up this side, See if, I, see if I can picture the same way I did for them. So this is the mountain. You got 600 coming up. So they're, they're like two fingers wide, right? Two fingers wide coming on up. Thousands on this side, they're this wide. Would it be safe to say that at some point, real close and real near, David is going to be completely surrounded the higher they go up? I mean, think about it. If he's got 600 people, and they're going eventually that, air, that mountain gets narrow, they're going to wrap around that thing and, and get him, right? So the scene you got going, it's a, it's a cool scene because you got David coming up. You got him coming up. Everybody's trying to get the high ground because that's good battle strategy. You know, and you got that going on. God in his sovereignty is looking down and realizing. Now, short of a miracle, he could have done. We've done it before. But short of that, short of him performing that miracle, he's looking down and he's saying, man, this, this is about to be bad for David. This is the closest Saul's ever gotten to getting him. He's about to be complete. He really is completely surrounded. He don't even know it yet. Right? And he says, ah, I got an idea. And he sends down a message to a messenger because now the Philistines are attacking a major city that Saul can't help but have to go back and defend. So this messenger gets up there right before, I think it was right before they're at that moment. Like they're, I mean, they're right there in my picture, okay? They're right there. And this messenger gets there and Saul says, oh, we got to go back and take care of these guys. And they all leave and David's just chilling on the top of the mountain by itself. God's sovereignty. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that was just a coincidence, Pastor. Well, that's fine. If you believe in coincidences, do it. I believe in God'sidences. And that is a patented word. Make sure you... God'sidences. I believe in God'sidences. I believe that God coincidentally told that king or that messenger to get to that king at that exact moment so that he would turn around at that exact moment. Right? And it saved David and his men's life. Look at what verse 28 says about it. I think they realized it. Because verse 28 says this. So Saul broke off in his pursuit of David and he went to engage the Philistines. Therefore, that place was named the Rock of Separation. Wow. Wow. Or the Rock of Parting, some of you may call it. Why? Because that was the moment that God did it. And then it says that David escaped safely to um, Engadi where he would find water and a shelter for his next voyage of staying on the run. From Saul. God, this is, this is, this is such a pretty example of God's divine intervention. 
God's providence that takes place, right? This was, this was not a chance. This was something God did right here at the very thing. And, and it's at this moment that I want to make sure we go back to that middle idea yet again, okay? Because we're, we're quick to call God Alpha and Omega, and he is. But, but what is Alpha, Omega? That's beginning and that's end, right? Right? Is he not God of the middle two? Is he not God of the middle two? He, we know he's going to get David to where he's getting. And we know that he's been with David from the beginning. But why do we forget that he's with David in the middle? Why do we forget that he's with us in the middle? Go to Philippians 1.6. Here's a verse we always use. I think we leave out maybe one of the words in it. I am sure of this. Look at a confidence spoken right there, right? You can look at somebody and say, I'm sure of this. That's good stuff. I'm sure of this. I'm sure that I don't have a clue if the Cowboys will win today. I'm sure of this, though. That he, Hey, easy, brother. Said I'm the only one allowed to do it. That he who started a good work, there's alpha, there's beginning, start, will carry it. Everybody say carry. That's the middle. Okay. To completion. That's the end. Right? So we got start, carry, completion. We got alpha, we got middle, and we got omega. Right? Are we getting this? Stop thinking God's not in the middle of stuff. Guys, he is. He's in all of it. You could almost say this. He's the God of the gap. I tell you, my notes got to be short and choppy. So that's, that's what I wrote, God of the gap. He's the God of that gap because we, we forget about the gap all the time. We do. And I'll tell you, for, for us as, as people, we, we talk about death and, and all this stuff. Man, the gap's the most important thing. You know, we oh, God ordained the day of your birth. Well, God also ordains the... The day of your death. God ordained the gap, the dash in the middle too. We just try to take it from him sometime. He did. He's working through it. David writes about this. Check out what David says. Here, here, I'm going to get to my last word for middle. I should be done on time. That's good stuff. Psalm 54. Notice that there's always a psalm that goes with the book of Samuel, by the way. So any of you that want a Bible study, not just read scripture, you, you got to be tying this thing back to other, other stuff. All right, Psalm 54 is where this one comes from. He says this, two through four. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Strangers are attacking me. Ruthless men seek my life. Men without regard for you. Then there's this word. We're going to come back to it in a minute. Salah. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. What's going on here? Strangers are attacking me. I'd say that's the people as if they betrayed David to Saul. David cries out to God for help. And then, then you get this word, Salah. Now, now here, here's good teaching for you, right? You want to know what it means? Nobody has a foolproof clue what it means. <laughs> it's not a guarantee, though. It's really not. It's used 70, oh, man, I think 75 times. 75 or less times, 71 of them are in Psalms. I can tell you that. The only other time it's used is Habakkuk, right? So you got that. But it's just randomly placed. Throughout the Psalms, most of the time, Psalms is what a book of songs, music, right? So we take some of the words that we use, and here's what I did because I I'm going to tell you when they don't know something, they just don't know it. I'm not going to make it say something. But but Mitch done a little bit of studying because he's dead on with it, right? So so you got the word salah with a C in Hebrew means to hang something and weigh it. So you know they would hang something on a scale and, and weigh it out. You ever use one of those scales like when you were science class or anything like that? You, you've been with, so, you, so you can picture this. When you do that, you got to wait like a minute, right? 
because that scales like it's it's not like a little digital scale that tells you if you're too fat or too skinny. It it, it does other, it, it just sits there for a minute, and tries to tries to balance. So, so you're hanging it there to check it out, right? You're weighing it. You, you, you want to see what it is. Now there's another Hebrew word that that starts with a, a s and has another word mixed up in the beginning, but ends the same word. So Hebrew a lot of times short study lesson real fast. You got words that use the same letters, the same stuff. Generally, you're going to be able to get the same meaning from them is all I'm going with, okay? Study it, check it out yourself. You need to do more than a Sunday morning on it, all right? Anyway, that word means praise. So pause now for a minute. We're talking about a a song-written book. You ever notice You ever notice how awesome a pause can make a song when somebody's singing it? You know what I'm saying? Like that, that one moment, and you're like, and then they break into it again. So you pause. You got you got a, you got a, you got a praise break, and while you're praise breaking, you're hanging something on the scale to reflect on it and check it out. Do you see what David's doing here? Notice the moment this one comes up in this song. He's saying flat out, "Strangers are all around me. They're attacking me. They have no room for you." Praise break. Praise break. Pause it. Weigh it. Check it out. And then he says, "Surely, God is my help." The Lord is the one who sustains me. Now, does that not make perfect sense now? Think about what he's saying. He's saying, I'm surrounded. I can't do nothing about it, but I'm going to pause. I'm going to stop. I can see God doing what God's doing. And then he can praise break back into it of surely God is my help. God is one who sustains me, right? I think we need to do more pause breaks. I think we need to do more reflecting. You you ever been at the hockey game the other day? I, I got to see it. Exhibited really, really well. Went to see the Stingrays Tuesday night and, and, and a smaller crowd on a Tuesday night anyway. But you ever been in a room where they got that moment of silence? Now, let's shoot straight with me now. Don't sound all spiritual like you prayed during it the whole time and all that, right? Sh- shooting honest with me. In a moment like that, does it not take about a few seconds before it starts to get kind of awkward? Right? I, I've, I've been a speaker at some of these big events sometime and they said we need to, we need to have a pause for a moment. And I'm fine with that. I think that's great. We should. But I'll be honest, even as a speaker, you're like, how long do I pause? <laughs> Why is everybody looking at me like I'm a weirdo? Why, they, you know, that, that happens. Here's why. Understand, it's a big lesson. Because our culture and our world has gotten so loud that we've gotten used to the loudness. We've gotten used to the loudness. Even in church, if I was to say, let's pause for a minute, after about seven or eight seconds, I think a couple of us would get a little uncomfortable we would begin to think that it sounds a little weird and it feels a little weird in that moment. It should not be weird to pause and reflect on what God's doing. Did he not tell his disciples, be, or did he not tell them, be still and know that I'm God? My translation says, shut up and listen and make sure you understand. Because I need it that way. And that's the way I, that's the way I need it. Because I'll try to take all this knowledge that I got. And, and, look, you don't need that. Just stop. Just shut up. And listen to what I'm about to do. I think that's what David did right here. I really do with this word. I think he was he was writing about it in his journal. We know he's a big journaler. And he's writing the songs. Like, man, they were all around me. They were going to get me. And they didn't even like you, God. And the moment he said, God, pause. And it was you, God, that brought me out of it. Get some pause breaks in your life, man. Get some pause break in your life. Quit letting the loudness of the world distract you from those moments when God wants to show you a significant thing. I mean, let's be honest. Psalm 54 without verse 4 wouldn't really be much, would it? 
if we just wrote about a guy who's getting attacked who, uh, by the people who don't like God? I mean, that ain't nothing I need to remember. But with verse 4, that God comes to the rescue, that's something I need to remember. Here's another thing for us. If we would begin with God, our enemies wouldn't be so big. I think that's what helped David a lot. Think about it. He began with God. The same God that rescued him from the bear and the lion and the wolf is the same God that's going to rescue him from the gap. Same God that's going to rescue him from the cave. Same God that's going to rescue him from Saul. Same God that rescued him from Goliath. Right? It's the same one. It's the same one. you got to trust in God's strength and his provincial care. It's no different than what Jesus did. Let me wrap this thing up in a conclusion for us. Because I've told you before, David is very symbolic. Symbolic. I say that because somebody who I said it a few, well, a few months ago now, told me that I was saying that David was Jesus. David is not Jesus. He's symbolic of Jesus. Big difference. Huge difference. Anyway, so as he's symbolic, here's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. Some of you may remember he went to a garden. Because he had to get that pause and reflect thing going. Now when he went, I want to point out three things that he did. Because I think he's like, I think David's like him, or he's like David. I don't look at it. He's in great distress. Don't tell me he wasn't. Okay, he was. Says that he was so so he was so so upset about everything. He was literally sweating blood while he was praying. He was upset. Okay, it's okay that Jesus got upset. All right, don't don't try to over overkill. Oh, Jesus couldn't be. He was upset. Jesus cried. He wept. He did a lot of stuff. He had emotions. Hundred percent man. Hundred percent God. How do you explain that? I don't. Moving on. Right. Great distress. So here's what he did. Number one. He sought God's will and prayed, went to the garden. What's the first thing we saw David do? Pray and seek God's will. Second thing he did, he didn't try to do it alone. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not as good as Jesus. And if Jesus needed to take some brothers with him to pray, maybe I should start taking some brothers with me to pray. Am I right? So some of us say, oh, I can handle it on my own. Jesus couldn't handle it on his own. What makes you think you can handle it on your own? Okay. Now, don't get me wrong. His brothers fell asleep in the garden and it didn't turn out well. But he still wanted a lesson for us to bring somebody with him. Number three, then he trusted God's divine care. What did he tell him? Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But if not, I want your will to be done. He said, God, if there's another way, of course I want to do it another way. But if there's not, then your will is what matters most. Same thing David had to say before he went and fought the Philistines. God, if there's another way, it'd be kind of cool like you just brought down thunder and lightning and made them all kill themselves like you did before. And we won't have to risk our lives. But God didn't say that. God said, no, you're going to go fight. Him. So David said, all right, I risk my life and, and I go. You got to go when God says go, no matter what it is. Right. And, and look at 43. Sometimes we, we kind of submit. We kind of skip over 43. We know that not your will, but mine be done. Here's what 43 says. He submitted himself to God's will. And the Bible says this. Luke 22, 43. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. He needed that moment like David. Of extra strength. And heaven brought it, God brought his father brought it down to him at that moment to strengthen him to get through this. Jesus was at his lowest point and he finds strength in God. Now, if that's the example Jesus set and that's the example David set, I think that's maybe the example we should start following. When we get to our lowest point, let's stop looking for other things to solve our issues and let's start finding our strength in God. Let, let's start relying on prayer. Let's start relying on, on, on the fact of this. Jesus had to rely on his strength so that he could go to the cross so that you and I could then get the strength from God for stuff that we need. I mean, think about that making a full circle and, and tying it all together, right? When life hits you hard and it's going to, if it hadn't yet, hate to be your, your bubble popper. When life hits you hard, let's trust in God. Let's stop trying to solve our own issues. 
Let's rely on the fact that we have a God who wants and desires to solve them for us. Because I'll be honest, uh, up front, I said this a couple weeks ago, maybe I did a, a bad job, and I'm not trying to coerce you to come pray. Please don't think that, because I don't roll that way at an invitation, okay? I think the Baptist church has corrupted that thing. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. I ain't getting on there. All right. <laughs> Wrong time, my bad. But 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 here, here, here's what I was trying to say a couple weeks ago. I want to make sure we get. Man, these gifts are going to people who got nothing. They got nothing. Here, here's a point blank thing, and I noticed because my sisters who drew the, the name. We got a, either a six-year-old or an eight-year-old. She's not there. Either a six-year-old or an eight-year-old who asked for little Debbie cakes. They want a Christmas tree, little Debbie cakes. I can't tell you I'm a huge Christmas tree fan, but I tell you right now, that little kid gonna get some Christmas tree Debbie cakes. You know what I'm saying? That's the only thing that he's asking for for a Christmas list. Think about what your kids put on their Christmas list. Think about what you put on your Christmas list. And you say, I don't do a Christmas list. Think about what you asked for your free birthday then. Alright? You all asking for something at some point during the year, I guarantee you. Alright? Think about it. Little Debbie. Now I don't know about you. This, this thing yesterday, clean out the, the, the drawers in the car. I had a bag that full of socks. I just went straight to the bag and grabbed all the socks I ain't wore. Didn't even look at them. Reached the packs were holding the bag up. And one of them at one point said, Dad, but that's a cool looking pair. Don't matter. I ain't worn it that long. It's gone. I got to start getting rid of it. Right? That's how many I got rid of. Not really. We gave me somebody who could use them. Right? But that's how many I got rid of. Yet these men, their, their thing is it was socks. So, so here's what I'm saying. They're in a desperate situation. They need the strength of God. They need the love of God. So let's use the, the rest of this month, like I said, to, to pray over them for that. That's, that's a significant. Look, the altar is only special, guys, because of what it represents. Okay, it's not like we had special wood up here and some fancy carpet. Same carpet you're walking on. Okay, the altar is special because of what we make it. Okay, this should be an area of prayer for these homeless people, for these orphans, for the ones that Scripture says the church is responsible for. Okay, there, there, there's no mistake in who you're responsible for. Okay, orphans are yours. <laughs> They're ours as the church. Okay, not the government. Anyway, we've got this other side. But, but, but now we're taking it to a next level in March when the group goes to Africa. Went, went, went once and, and just ministered and visited. Went another time and did a conference for pastors. This time when we go, it's going to be, when I say we, when they go, it's going to be discipleship. So now we're going to get you there, right? So, so, so it's discipleship. So we're taking the level, level deeper. There's going to be weeks of actual or days of actual teaching. And then possibly, hopefully, I like the vision on the last day or two, we will send them out to teach themselves and teach groups. Well, what does scripture tell us to do? To disciple. There's no mistaking about what should be going on there. When we get foolish into thinking, oh, we made our mission trip there, checklist, cool, we have the little poor people of Africa, we, we don't ever have to do it again. You failed. You failed when a mission trip becomes a checklist. We fail sometime in the church when we get people, quote unquote, saved or finding Jesus or whatever title we want to give them nowadays. We fail because we get them there and we're like, yeah, we got them there, that's so cool. And we forget the middle. My goodness, and Lord, we keep bringing us back to that middle, right? We forget the middle, we forget the training. We're sorry about either heaven coming to them or them going to heaven or however you want or whatever. Y'all, y'all so focused on the beginning and the end. We neglect the middle. We neglect the middle. Discipleship is required. It's commanded. Okay? 
So, so even if this is just for, for us or for them, there's a, there's a pretty good significant symbolism area right there to pray for discipleship. Pray for growth of those. And of course you have the cross and you have the middle and you have, yeah. You can pray where you're at. But this, this all, we ought, we ought to have some prayer time this morning. We ought, we ought to really be serious in understanding what God is using, what God is saying through a story that happened thousands of years ago that still relates significantly in every single one of our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. God, I just asked this morning, Lord, as we, we look at your word, we studied your word, Lord God. And Lord, you know we can't do it all in that, in that short amount of time. So God, I pray that you give the people something to take back home with them, God. An inkling, an urge, or something to study. God, open our hearts right now at this moment, Lord God, for something to bring to you. If it's praise, Lord God, I pray that you receive it. God, if it's a pause so that we can reflect, Lord God, on how awesome you are and what you do and what you have done, what you can do. God, if it's if it's just praying for others, Lord God, who are desperate or who need to be discipled. God, please take this moment that we give to you, Lord God, and do something special in our lives, God. God, give us give us that passion to make us hungry, Lord God. God, give us that moment where we realize that you're not only about the beginning and the end, you're about the middle. God, I pray that you do something special in every single believer's life, Lord God. God, do fill in the gaps, Lord God, that I left out this morning. And God, I, I pray, Lord God, that we can go out in the world and fill the gaps that have been created by following the flesh instead of following you. In your great name we pray. Amen.